Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Pope Francis wrapped up his historic four-day visit to Mongolia on Monday. Francis became the first pope to ever visit Mongolia. Although the Catholics are few, he was given a warm welcome by all. On Monday, Pope Francis returned from his trip to Mongolia. He was the first pope to ever visit the country, which is sandwiched between Russia and China. Jerry traveled with the Pope. We'll give you the story from the ground. The fact of the matter is that uh, there is no clear idea of what synodality is. Now notice this. Pope Francis is directly tackling the objection head on that he is going to change church doctrine. And on the plane ride home, the Pope discussed some comments that he made about his critics in the United States. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry, and a happy sixth season of Inside the Vatican. Good morning from Rome, Colleen. It's afternoon here and it's sunny. Yeah, it is the same here. And I'm sweating already because I have to turn off my air conditioning for the podcast recording. (laughs) Jerry, we are diving right into a very busy fall now that it's September. We're back from break. We've got the Synod coming up in October. We've got the Pope going to Marseille. The Pope also announced that he is writing a part two to Laudato Si that's coming out on October 4th. So we've got a lot, lot, lot going on. But first, let's get into the Pope's visit to Mongolia that you just returned from. Pope Francis visited Mongolia from August 31st to September 3rd. And as we talked about in our deep dive that came out before the visit, this is a country with very, very few Catholics. Half the population is Buddhist. Another 40% have no religion at all. So I want you to paint the picture for me. What was it like for the Pope to go here? What was his reception like from both Catholics and not Catholics? Well, first of all, I think the comment the Pope made at the audience this morning, this Wednesday morning, I have been to the heart of Asia and it has done me good. Mm-hmm. I think that sums really up uh, what Francis felt, and I think what most people felt. Tell me more. He went to a country that no pope had ever been to before, although the Vatican has had relations with uh, Mongolia for 777 years. Mm-hmm. So almost eight centuries. Right. And these were some of the uh, early missionaries and letters from popes that we talked about in the deep dive. Exactly. And When he went there, really, from his arrival at the airport to his departure, they treated him like a king, like an emperor, the authorities. And all the way in from the airport and around the city, you saw flags of the Vatican, the yellow and white flags of the Vatican, and the uh, Mongolian flag together. This really showed up. This is a country that 
as you said, in all Christians, I think 60,000 in the whole country, the population is 3.4 million. So it's a small population in an enormous country. Mountains, the Gobi Desert takes up, I think, one third of it. Yeah, it's the most sparsely populated country in the world. Absolutely. And it has no exit to the sea. Mm -hmm. 97% of its uh, exports go to China. It depends on Russia, the other big neighbor for energy and for heavy vehicles, etc. And uh, they're trying to reach beyond the kind of the embrace of these two giants. They're trying to reach out to the rest of the world, looking for the third neighbor. Right. This has been a key expression in kind of Mongolian foreign policy for a long time, looking for a third neighbor. Some people say that it's Korea. Some people say that it's, you know, other countries that they've been reaching out to. So what was the importance of that? Is is the idea that the Vatican is a third neighbor now? They recognize, the, especially Pope Francis, they recognize him as a big figure on the world stage. They respect him. And uh, in, in the speech, when the president welcomed him, he, he said, you know, you have, there's so much in common between what you are, your positions on climate change, on uh, reaching out to people, etc., that also we share. Mm-hmm. They have abandoned nuclear power. They have abandoned the, the death penalty. They have much in common with the Pope. And they see him especially as reaching out to all the other religions, which has been the long tradition of Mongolia itself. So they have these shared values, and you kind of laid out the background of them looking for a third neighbor. So what did it mean for them for the Pope to come? It gave them enormous visibility on the world stage, because the Pope arrives with an international press. There were 66 journalists from many countries, international media. I mean, you get more publicity for your tourism from a papal visit than you would from your Ministry of Tourism spending a lot of money on tourism. Yeah. I remember we talked about this when the Pope went to Iraq. It was like all the visibility around the trip was going to kind of help, you know, rehabilitate the image of Iraq as as a place that one can visit rather than just like a place of war and violence. So I guess it was a similar thing for Mongolia where this raised their profile on the world stage. It raised their profile. And then it's a peaceful country. It's a peaceful country. It's working for peace initiatives on the international field. Internally, there's peace. Uh, and so oh, there's a lot of poverty as well. About one third of the people are living in poverty. But Colleen, I, I was really struck. Here's a tiny, and the Pope said it in the audience this morning. He said, people ask, you know, why is the Pope going to that country? There's so few Catholics. And he said, but this is very the very reason. And he, he praised how the, 30 years ago, there wasn't a Catholic community in this country. And then the zeal, the enthusiasm of missionaries from the Philippines, from other countries, and the many missionaries from many countries there now, uh, they started a community, not proselytizing, but started just doing charitable initiatives around and connecting with the people. And a real key to that is that they don't expect people to convert to Catholicism in order to receive that education, those social services, and so on. Whereas uh, in some of the Mongolians that I've been chatting with leading up to this trip, we're saying, you know, we're skeptical of the other churches because they do require you to join their church in order to receive those services. But the Catholic Church doesn't. Pope Francis was very clear about this. We do charitable initiatives and charitable work not to get you in, but that is our way of being our way of serving God and serving others. And then 
he, he cited Benedict the Sixteenth, who says, you know, uh, people come to the church by attraction. They're attracted. And I saw this actually, Colleen, in the square on the first big event when they gave him this wonderful, really pageant welcome where you had all the different divisions of the armed forces marching. And then on horseback, these soldiers in ancient kind of armored gear it really, it really was so impressive. And there was a man at the back of the square I, to- I talked to, 65, 70-year-old man. And I said to him, with the help of an interpreter, you know, uh, why are you here? Are you Catholic? No, 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 I'm Buddhist. Why, do, why are you here? He said, well, last night I was watching the television. I saw the Pope. I didn't even know who he was before. But I saw him, and I watched, and I thought, this man is interesting. I'm going to come and see him for myself. And then I was struck by what a sister of Mother Teresa's sisters. Mm-hmm. The Missionaries of Charity. Sister Merrill, I think was her name, if I recall correctly. She had been 17 years in the country, working with the poorest of the poor. And she said, I said, what do you think of the Pope's visit? She said, we were here by ourselves. We're a small community. She said, the church, is, the church community is small. We thought nobody was noticing us. And she said, here God has visited his people. That's how they saw the visit. And I was very struck like that. Mm-hmm. And the Pope's key message throughout a lot of his talks in Mongolia was stressing this idea of enculturation, missionaries, you know, becoming part of the Mongolian people, learning the language, embracing the culture, living among the people, rather than trying to like impose a culture and a religion. Instead, he he really stresses that they need to be living amongst the people and then attract people by living joyfully. And then people become curious about the source of their joy and they realize, you know, oh, this, this joy comes from God. Maybe I want to look more into this religion that these people have, even if I perceive it as something being outside. And that was his message also when he was dedicating the House of Mercy, which was this charitable center he dedicated on the last day that he was there, um, where he really stressed, you know, Christianity in Mongolia is not something foreign. It's not something new. It's something that can grow out from the culture. And it's that enculturation rather than like proselytism or imposition that is the the mark of missionary work today. Jerry, I want to ask you about this comment that you made a minute ago about um that you think it'll have a lasting effect on the church in Mongolia. What what does that look like? Well, in fact, I asked some of the people there in the church there what it means. They said, it doesn't necessarily mean we'll have extraordinary numbers, but they will see that we're giving a witness to our God. And there is this, I think it's it's a, in the DNA of the people there, this sense of a transcendent, of there's something beyond human life. Yeah, for sure. Even though most of the population or a large part of the population is a religious, I think there definitely is like a deep spirituality in Mongolia. Jerry, one last question for you on this before we move on to talking about uh, the Papal Plain press conference. But the big thing that was kind of dominating my mind as I was thinking about this trip to Mongolia was the fact that the country is completely surrounded by Russia to the north and China to the south. 
Our sources for the deep dive who I talked to didn't expect much of the attention from the Pope to be on China and Russia during the trip. I wanted to ask for you, did that ring true? Was, were they kind of out of out of focus or uh, were there some nods, some acknowledgments of Mongolia's very powerful neighbors? China was the elephant in the room, if you want to say. Tell me more. It, it, it was really a presence uh, from start to finish, because just before we, we went there, I published this article, China prohibited the bishops and the faithful from going to join the Pope in, in Ulaanbaatar, the capital city. I believe you broke that story. Uh, yes, I broke that story. But I have since got much more detail on this, which I haven't written up. But I, I know, for example, from one place, 2,000 2, people were going to come in the wow. end. twenty. 20 came. Mm-hmm. That's and they came. 20 very brave people. Very courageous people. One of the um, um, religious leaders from Asia said to me, I don't name for security reasons, uh, he said, uh, these are courageous people and the media should respect them because they co- covered their face. They didn't want to be seen. They w- didn't want to be not seen, but identified because they wanted to be seen because they had little little red flag of Chinese flags and many of them, the rosary in the other hand. And I was surprised because I happened to meet a lot of them later. I was surprised how many young people were there. It's reckoned, we're talking about small numbers. It's reckoned there was between one and more than a hundred came defying the wrath of Beijing. And that is, I mean, that's a fair share of the crowd. At the largest event, there were 2,000 people. It's kind of the scale that we're talking about. I'd say maybe we're talking about maybe 150, but certainly more than 100. They came in five groups from the mainland. And uh, these people really have courage. I mean, Jerry, just for for people who might not understand, and also for myself, what what possible consequences do these people face? Well, if you're identified, and China now has technology that can track you very easily, identify you very easily, you would have problems with work. You would have, they're young people, you'd have problems going to university, getting a job, housing. And you may be taken away for re-education courses, and we might call it detention. They call it re-education. So there are many. uh, We will have to see what what is the consequence. But uh, I was also struck in this context, Colleen, and I wrote it. I talked to some of them. They didn't want to talk first, and I spoke to some. And one of them said to me, I said, uh, you've come here. Why? I said, you know, the Pope would like to go to your homeland, to China. They said, yes, we come to show we love him. He can't come to see us. We come to see him. I I mean, you're talking about, uh, and I don't think it's too far to say, almost the faith of martyrs. Is they're putting their life on uh, their future on the line? And this is inspiring. All right, Jerry, uh, the papal press conferences on either end of the papal trip have ended up being almost just as important as the trip itself. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Pope's comments on the plane going to and from Ulaanbaatar. Stay with us.
So on the plane back from Mongolia, Pope Francis held a press conference and you got to ask him a question. Uh, and then on the plane there at the beginning of the trip, he also met with journalists individually and made some comments. We're going to talk about all of that now. First off, the story that got the most attention here in the U.S. Uh, is that Pope Francis was asked about his critics in the United States. He was asked specifically about these comments he made about his critics to a group of Jesuits in Portugal during World Youth Day. Uh, one of the Jesuits who had lived in the U.S. asked the Pope about how some Americans, including priests and bishops, are very strongly critical of the Pope. And Pope Francis responded by saying that being backward looking, in quotes, he uses this word, indietrismo, being backward looking is, quote, useless and that doctrine develops over time. So these people tend to be very afraid that the Pope is changing doctrine. He also said that when people get into a kind of backward looking mentality, they lose sight of what tradition actually is and turn to ideologies instead. And this obviously upset many of his critics in the U.S. There have been a number of pieces published in more conservative journals about them. He was also asked about a book that Cardinal Raymond Burke, one of his most vocal critics, endorsed. This book calls the October Sanded on Synodality a Pandora's box that will unleash calamity in the church. It seems to me like Pope Francis is speaking out more vocally than he ever has before against his critics. I was wondering, do you agree with that impression? And if so, why do you think that is? Well, I think Francis has had a lot of patience with critics over the years. I mean, I, I think back to John Paul II, for example, when he went to Nicaragua and he waved his finger at uh, Ernesto Cardinal, one of the priests who was in the government, Right, very famous image. This was very early on in the Pope scene. It was a, it went right through Latin America as a very strong admonition to liberation theology. Uh, so uh, Francis has tended to either remain silent, ignore, uh, less commonly to respond. He's come out more re more strongly recently. But if you look at the United States, there have been some bishops who really you wonder if they're in communion with the Pope at this point, with the statements they make when, when he's accused of being more or less heretic or leading the church down the wrong way. And they fail to understand that, you know, he was elected in a conclave cardinals of different persuasions under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe that the leader is chosen. We see how he's greatly respected. This nun who says, you know, God has visited his people. I, I feel sometimes that some of the critics are so detached from reality. Francis always says, reality is greater than ideas. And in fact, it, 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 this is true. We see it. I, I think that his take on the critics is uh, they're living in a small world. You know, I think part of it is, you mentioned this central idea of Pope Francis' entire papacy, which is reality is greater than ideas. This is a thing we've heard from him over and over again. And he definitely would say, like, being grounded in reality is, is much more important than being driven by an ideology, like the most extreme of ideas. But I think that some of his critics would counter that they're not clear on what the reality is when it comes to the synod in the fall. He, Pope Francis talked about this this nun who uh, he spoke to on the phone who said she was afraid that the synod would change doctrine. You have this book endorsed by Cardinal Burke saying that the synod is a Pandora's box. And it's difficult sometimes to counter those messages because we don't know exactly what's going to happen in the synod because some of it, so much of it is open-ended. So I, yeah, I just wanted to raise that. You know, I think that 
but part of it is that the reality is not totally clear right now. Well, the reality is that he goes to a foreign country where there is practically so, so few Christians, and he's greatly respected because he reaches out to people. He's not excluding, he's including people. And remember what he said at the World Youth Day in, in uh, Lisbon, that the church is for all, todos, 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 for all, for all, for all. And some people do not like this openness, this embrace of the whole world. And they prefer a very small, clean, clear, pure in inverted commas community to this rather uh, uncertain or wide-ranging community that Francis is talking about. But it is this openness that is really opening new doors for the preaching of Christ in in Asia and in Africa. And it's not coming in and with a narrow message kind of this category is excluded, that category is excluded, that one is excluded. Francis says the church is open. Jesus says bring them all in. And then each one finds his own way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember this, I feel like, is the central thing when people got upset about his footnote in Amoris Laetitia about divorce and remarried Catholics being able to receive communion again in some cases, um, where people were like, no, you know, we have a rule, we have a set uh, practice, which is that these people can't receive communion. And the Pope is saying, well, we have a rule that's based on this ideal that's laid out, but we have all these cases that don't match up to the ideal, and we have to be able to discern in those cases. And that that makes people uncomfortable because it's not a set rule book. But I find this so so distant from the reality of a world where so many do not believe in God, and Francis is trying to reach them and lead them to God. And also, they forget that God is at work in history, in the lives of people, in ways that we do not see now, and maybe not even see in this life. I I wish some of their critics got on the papal plane and had one visit to one of these countries. They may come to a different way of looking at the Pope. All right, Jerry, speaking of papal visits, your question to the Pope on the return flight was about whether he would visit Vietnam. Uh, I was wondering if you could give us some background. Why did you ask that? Well, uh, to be honest, Colleen, I had originally thought of asking a question on China, but since the person in front of me asked the question on China, I asked it on Vietnam for several reasons. One was because there's a very strong Catholic community in Vietnam. I, I have known a lot of them. I've seen a lot of them in the trips he goes to. Several countries in Asia now, I've spoken to people from Vietnam, and they all say, we want the Pope to come to us. Now the government has opened up, and they have given the Pope, what China is not giving it, they have given the Pope, the, the Vatican, the possibility of having a resident uh, representative living in Hanoi. Is this like a nuncio? Well, not yet a nuncio. A nuncio would be with diplomatic relations. But I, I think we're on the doorstep of diplomatic relations with Vietnam. The president came and the Pope said, we talked freely. And he said, I've seen over these years, and he's met several of them now from Vietnam over these years at the government level who've come to him and also the bishops he has met them. He said, I see that that there are problems, but they are able to resolve the problems and move forward. And he said, their culture is an open culture. And he he said, so I asked him, you know, 
do you see yourself going there? And he said, if I don't go, John the 24th will go. That's a future pope. He said, because they merit a visit because they really, I, he said, I am certain that they will get a papal visit. And then he said, what I didn't put in my written text, he said, we'll see. Mm. Francis, and, and that we'll see is very interesting. We'll see, in other words, let, let's see what happens. He, he doesn't exclude it. He also said that trips have gotten a little bit more difficult for him. Yeah, that, that is stating the obvious, that he, he said, when I started, it was much easier. Now it's more difficult also because of walking. He has to be in a wheelchair. He's got to be taken down from the plane. Well, and the reason I ask about that is I, it makes me wonder kind of what his criteria are for deciding what trips he's going to make. What, what, what's worth the effort? Well, the, the, the decision was, first of all, for not go to the big countries where he would get hailed. By and large, he hasn't been to Germany, he hasn't been to France, he hasn't been to Spain, he hasn't been to England. He did go to the United States. He's going to France this month, but he says a strange thing when he talks about it. He says, I'm going to Marseille, not to France. Yes, he's going to meet the bishops of the Mediterranean bases who have to deal with migrants and who have other problems, uh, so trafficking and this kind of question. So it's specific. It could have it, previously it was the meeting was in Italy. This time it's in, in maybe some years it will be in somewhere else. But he, he's very clear that he wants to go to the peripheries, to the countries which are neglected, which are overlooked, and to help the small Catholic communities which are growing. And Vietnam fits into this pattern. So my question was very uh, an informed question, if you wish. Uh, and I, I do hope and I am convinced that if he has the possibility, he will go. Jerry, I would expect nothing less than an informed question from you. <laughs> um, all right. So the Pope talked about a lot of other things on the papal flight that we weren't able to cover here. There's also a number of other stories. We're trying something new this season where we're going to include a little paragraph of analysis on each of those stories that we didn't get to on our show page. So you can click the link in our show notes and go read uh, a couple sentences about each of those. This week, the stories are going to be that part two of Laudato Si that Pope Francis said he was writing. Uh, we'll talk about what we know about that. Uh, we're going to talk about how Pope Francis was meeting Archbishop Shevchuk, who is the major archbishop of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church today, September 6th, when we're recording. Uh, he and the Pope have disagreed in the past about how the Pope approaches the Russia-Ukraine war, so we'll include a little analysis of that. Also on the papal plane, the Pope was asked to clarify some comments he made to young people in Russia. He said they should be proud of their heritage, and this was construed by some people as meaning you know, is he is he supporting the justification that Putin has given for the war to protect Russia? Um, and so he clarified that that was not what he meant. He meant that they should try to safeguard the positive parts of Russian culture, but not obviously the imperialistic parts. Uh, and finally, there's a story uh, coming out this week about religious communities that sheltered Jews during World War II. We'll have more coverage of that coming out later this week, uh, and you can also read about that in the show notes because it will be out by the time you hear this podcast. All right, Jerry, that is everything for this week. Uh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be back with you for our sixth season, if you can believe it. Uh, and yeah, I'll chat with you next week. Yes, and I'm looking forward to your visit to Rome, Colleen. I am too. Yeah, I'll be there for two weeks during the Synod, and it'll be really exciting to cover that live with you. And we can assure our listeners that there's no lack of information coming up. Oh my goodness. I have no idea how we're covering it all. <laughs> all right. 
Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can find me on Twitter, or I guess X now, at Colleen Dully. That's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E. And Jerry at Jerry O. Rome. That's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. And please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's easy to do, and it is the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare after all that, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dudley. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.